Welcome to episode 209 of This Week in Linux, a podcast by the Tux Digital Network, recorded live on August 13th, 2022. Hi, I'm your host, Michael Tanell. If you're new to this show, this is the podcast to keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take as a 20-year-plus Linux user. On this week's episode, we've got some distro news, app news, and even a bit of drama news to cover. All this and so much more coming up right now on your weekly source for Linux. Good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean and by Bitwarden. Before we get started with Twill 209, I wanted to let you know about the latest episodes of Destination Linux and Hardware Addicts, because if you aren't aware, I am a host of that po- of both of those podcasts on the Tux Digital Network. I'm not the only host, I'm one of the hosts, but I think now, if you're not aware, this is a great time to jump in and check them out, because the latest episodes are fantastic. On Destination Linux 289, we talked about our experience going to the Southern California Linux Expo, or SCALE, and I put a lot of time into the visuals of that episode, so you might want to check out the video version. There's even a segment where I show off my sick dance skills. And also on Hardware Addicts episode 66, we talk about advancements in the medical industry related to nanobots, which sounds like it's straight out of some sort of sci-fi series like Star Trek or something, and it kind of is, so... I think you want to check that one out too. I'll have links to both of those episodes in the show notes, so be sure to check them out. Ubuntu 2204.1 LTS has been released after a week delay, as reported on the last episode of Twill. This is a point release, so there aren't a ton of underlying changes, but there are a few notable changes to highlight. For example, uh, various Dell XPS Alder Lake fixes have been added. Intel AMX support backported to their various kernel flavors. They've also added support for RISC-V Star-5 Vision-5, with, that's a lot to say, with installation-ready images. Uh, also, Ubuntu 22.04.1 LTS includes mitigation against the RETBLEED vulnerability, as other distros have as well, uh, which is important. We might cover that in a future episode when there's more details about like how it all works. We, there's a little bit right now, but it was really quick, and I wanted to jump into it. But anyway, back to the topic. A variety of bug fixes and security fixes have been added to this la- this latest release. And for those curious, this release does not include any new hardware enablement or HWE improvements, such as a newer kernel or updated Mesa drivers, because these occur once every six months with backports from the interim releases. So these HWE updates will be available towards the end of the year after Ubuntu 22.10 is released. Also, all of the official flavors have released their 2204.1 versions as well, which is mostly includes the same updates as Ubuntu proper, but one of the flavors should be highlighted due to some recent changes they made, and that is Lubuntu. So Lubuntu 22.04.1 updates their Calamari's installer to include a swap file by default, which is great because swap file is the best way to go in my opinion, and also they're using Calamari's, which is different from the rest of the flavors that use Ubiquity. Now, Lubuntu also has a new backports PPA that we talked about on a previous episode. So if you want to get the latest version of LXQt, you can do that now in Lubuntu. So that is just fantastic. Also, quick note, there's a new promotional video for this latest release that is quite good, made by the Freehive team, which is the same people who made the latest GNOME release video. And I just wanted to like let you know if you hadn't seen that, I'll have a link to that in the show notes, as well as a link to the latest new release of 22.04.1 LTS. 
Security is a hot topic in the computing world right now, and it, well, pretty much always is. So let's talk about one of the most popular projects in the security Linux world, and we're going to talk about Kali Linux. So Kali Linux is a Debian-based penetration testing distro designed to improve security by breaking into systems. It's developed and maintained by the Offensive Security Company, which, by the way, Offensive Security is a fantastic name for a penetration company, penetration testing company. It's really good. Anyway, this week we're talking about Kali Linux 2022.3, which just released, and there are a lot of changes to this edition. First of all, let's talk about the new security tools. Basically, every release, they had some new tools or changes there. So they have Brute Shark, which is a network analysis tool. Defect Dojo, which is an open source application for vulnerability correlation and security orchestration tool. There's also PHP Sploit, which is a stealth post-exploitation framework. Then there's also Shellfire, which is the exploiting LFI and RFI and also command injection vulnerabilities. Uh, spraying Toolkit for password spraying attacks against Link, S4B, OWA, and O365. And also, Kali Linux now provides pre-made images for VirtualBox users to get started very quickly, which is nice. I like decided before it was a kind of a hassle, it would require a tutorial to go through, but now it's nice that you can just get the images and load it up in VirtualBox. Uh, Kali Linux 2022.3 also includes a new test environment where you can install purposefully vulnerable web apps and to basically test your skills with, which is very nice. I think that's a great idea for it to kind of be, it's kind of like they call it Kali Linux Labs sort of thing, and that's fantastic. For those looking for community interaction with the Kali Linux project, they have actually decided to introduce a new way to do it by creating a Discord server. You can join their Kali Linux and Friends Discord if you'd like to do that. I'll have that linked in the show notes. Now, as is tradition around here on Twill, every time I mention Kali Linux, I must also follow it up with a disclaimer to the beginners. Kali Linux is not made to be used by non-professionals. In fact, they even recommend professionals to not use Kali Linux as their desktop distro or daily driver. So if you are not a professional, then that should be like 100 times more focused for you. More, you know... So you shouldn't use it if you're not one of those people. And even if you are, they don't recommend you do it anyway. And if you want to get into that field, then by all means, give it a go. But Kalinux is not for daily driver usage. Just want to put that out there. It has a reputation of being a cool distro to use. And sure, that's true. But it's also made for a specific purpose. And using it otherwise will not end well for unprepared users. Now, with that said, if you'd like to learn more about the latest release of Kali Linux 2022.3, link in the show notes. A new version of RescueZilla is out this week with RescueZilla 2.4. RescueZilla is a free hard disk cloning and imaging software based on Ubuntu, which can be booted as a live USB. One of the key benefits of RescueZilla is that it is also compatible with CloneZilla, which we've talked about on previous episodes. A RescueZilla 2.4 upgrades its base from Ubuntu 21.10 to Ubuntu 22.04, and this is to improve support with more modern hardware, which is good to see RescueZilla trying to stay updated with the Ubuntu base for such updates, because hardware support is constantly moving, and Ubuntu updates that every six months, so being you know keeping up with Ubuntu's updates are kind of like the necessary in that sense. And the majority of this uh, update for RescueZilla is related to rebasing to Ubuntu 22.04 to get all the benefits that we talked about on 
Twill 195, where we went more, more in depth about all the changes with Ubuntu 22.04 LTS. However, there was one extra thing that I thought was interesting, and that is that they are handling Firefox in RescueZilla different than how Ubuntu does. So a lot of people are aware that Ubuntu is shipping the Firefox as a snap, and RescueZilla has decided to not ship the snap and instead use the Mozilla Team PPA by default to use a deb package for, of Firefox. And I thought that was pretty interesting because I'm not really sure how uh, long-term the Mozilla Team PPA is going to be because the Mozilla Team are also working on the snap, but there hasn't been like a full declaration about what they're going to do for either one of those necessarily yet. So I think it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But if you'd like to learn more about the latest release of RescueZilla 2.4, links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. And with DigitalOcean, you get predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. That's DigitalOcean. And speaking of things that I love, the one-click marketplace to set up droplets of all sorts of different applications is fantastic. And the documentations of all the different tutorials are also fantastic. There's thousands of them. Check them out. You know, you can get started at DigitalOcean regardless of the size of your team, too. So you have a team of one person or a team of a thousand people, DigitalOcean can help you with a simple, powerful cloud computing at DigitalOcean. And as a listener to this week in Linux podcast and a member of the Tux Digital community, you can get started for free on DigitalOcean. Well, actually, it's better than free because they're going to be giving you a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. So again, go get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform by going to do.co slash tux2022. And I want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. GitLab has been in the news recently for some not-so-great reasons, as described by many people in the community. The reason for this is because there was a discussion in regards to plans GitLab had been considering on what to do with dormant repositories. Now, there have been reports stating that GitHub plans to automatically delete projects if they've been inactive for a year and owned by users that use the free tier. Now, this created somewhat of an uproar from the community talking about projects could be lost due to a variety of different circumstances. For example, maybe just someone said that the project doesn't need to update that much, so the having the repo being deleted just because they didn't update is kind of uh, weird, but also at the same time, what if something happened to someone who was a, was the owner of the project and they weren't able to you know give the control to someone else? And you know, there's there's di many different variations of what could be an issue. And, you know, if a project didn't have those updates to have the entire thing just deleted, well, of course, the, the reaction from the community was rather understandable, but there were also some people with a different perspective. For example, on Twitter, some suggested that it was fair if people wanted to uh, have their repo by, you know, purchasing a payment, a, pay, a payment plan. So it would be, you know, having access to your stuff hosted in perpetuity would be not fair to GitLab is what they're saying. So I see logic behind both arguments. However, with all of that said, GitLab has finally addressed concerns about this and have stated that they plan to archive repos after one year rather than delete them. 
They will put the repos in object storage, which will make them cheaper to host, saving them a lot of money for GitLab, but also make it possible for anyone to still have access to these repos. They will just take a little bit longer time to load them because they'll be on slower uh, hardware and slower systems. Uh, but they're still making it possible to get access. And ultimately, this seems like a solid solution to save GitLab money for hosting dormant repos, but also should make the community happy as there wouldn't be any loss of code. So there's a little bit of drama news. It's not a lot of drama news, but it's a little bit. So I just want to let you know about that. And if you'd like to learn more, you can find links in the show notes. The Jingpad A1 was a tablet that we discussed on episode 156 of Twill. And there have been people who were able to get their hands on this tablet and do some testing. I was not one of them. But also, if you want to get one now, it seems to not be available anymore. The Jingpad seemed to, you know, it, it was a rather promising device based on demo videos that they showed and the progress being made last year. But at this point, it seems like it's been discontinued. Now, I don't have official word of it being discontinued, but based on my research, all of the downloads for JingOS are no longer available and the order page for Jingpad no longer exists. So, I mean, the main website and the Jing forums still work, but there hasn't seemed to be any response on the forums from the Jing team in months. Now, this is not great news, but I often say that I will keep you updated on topics as I cover them. And since I'm a man of my word, there you go. If you'd like to learn more about this and take a look for yourself, links in the show notes. Up next, we're going to go from JingOS to a friend of JingOS. That's what it says on the bottom of the JingOS website. I don't know what that exactly means, but there's some kind of connection. But I thought it was pretty interesting because there's like basically a disappearance around the same time, really. Uh, the Cutefish OS is a distro that was previously mentioned on the show in Twill 166, but there has been a bit of drama happening as of late with the project. Last month, there were some people worried about the future of Cutefish OS with its domain timing out, emails going unanswered, and a Twitter feed that hadn't posted anything since March. There was even a discussion of people potentially forking the project to keep it going, but now it looks like the original development team behind Cutefish is coming back. So Cutefish's official repository on GitHub was updated with a new announcement in its profile saying, your favorite Cutefish OS are back now. And also, they, they said it, it promised to have a new website in the works coming soon. And it pointed to a new URL. And as of my testing, that new URL doesn't go anywhere just yet, but there does seem to be activity on the project again in general. And there's also now a new readme file that shows the a roadmap and the progress that they're wanting to do with Cutefish on their GitHub repository. Now, they say that we are preparing for the restart of Cutefish OS, uh, but that's not, they haven't really given any details about when they're going to do any restart of what they're doing. But it is interesting that they have come back after a little while. So if you'd like to learn more about this particular topic, or if you're interested in knowing what Cutefish is, we, could, we talked about it on a previous episode. I'll have that linked in the show notes as well, so you can see a screenshot and that sort of thing for Cutefish OS. And if you'd like to learn more, links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash tux. Bitwarden is a password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing your online accounts are secure. How does it do it? Well, Bitwarden provides you with tools like storing all of your passwords in a secured vault, also auto-generating those passwords for you, and even usernames as well, plus even automatically filling in passwords and all this information on login forms so you don't have to do any of this stuff. You can access your data across many different types of devices, whether it's your web browser, mobile applications, desktop application, or even on the command line. 
Bitwarden also seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your device so you know you're the only person with access to your data. So go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started. And did I mention you can get started for free? Well, you can, but I think you want to check out their premium accounts because for less than a dollar per month, that's right, less than a dollar per month, you get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, Bitwarden Send Service, Priority Customer Service Support, all this for less than a dollar per month. That's right. So make the smart move like many of the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get your account. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring This Week in Linux. Alma Linux is having a community election very soon, and this is important because for what it means for the project. You know, for those who are not familiar, Alma Linux is basically a rebuild of RHEL or a RHEL clone, and there are a lot of RHEL clones out there, and there has been, you know, many clones of RHEL for quite some time. And while I'm a fan of Red Hat Enterprise Linux, I also am a fan of what Alma Linux is doing. So the CentOS saga is a long story, and if you want more details about that, I'll put some links in older episodes for Twill and Destination Linux in the show notes that address it more in depth. We also had an interview with Red Hat for more details if you want to check that out on Destination Linux. But to suffice it to say, it was kind of a mess when it started. And out of that mess came many alternatives, but for me, I think the most viable alternative is Alma Linux. The reason for that opinion is because of the heavy dedication to the community involvement. Some alternatives are clearly corporate-backed, and others claim to be community-driven while seemingly not so much based on actions. But Alma Linux has made moves repeatedly to ensure their community-driven goals are clear, and this week they announced something that certainly should solidify that, and that Alma Linux is now going to have an election to add community members to the board of directors. So, of course, in the early stages of Alma Linux, there really wasn't a way for having people to vote on something, considering there wasn't a community yet, so they kind of had to appoint them, appoint different people to be on that board. Now that is all done and in place, the elections can happen, and this seems to be planned as an annual thing to be happening for Alma Linux OS Foundation. So anyone can vote if they're a part of the uh, Alma Linux OS Foundation. You just join the, the foundation as a member, and well, as long as you do so before August 17th. Because if you do want to vote, you have to be in, you know, be a member before that period. Now, they also say that an election community is made up of a community members and a board member who is not standing for election. And any person who has been a member in good standing for at least three months by the time the election starts is eligible for being nominated to the seat of the board of directors. And the election will be starting on September 4th of this year. So I just think it's really cool to see you know, the I knew that they were planning on doing this, but when they're you know finally actually doing it, I think it's fantastic because Alma Linux is, in my opinion, doing a rebuild or a clone in the right way with being very community oriented, and I really like that. And if you'd like to learn more about Alma Linux or more about the community election, you can find links in the show notes. Let's talk about some hardware news, specifically from System76 and Pine64. So we have new news about the Galago Pro. There's a revamp, and they've got updated processors for this new version. Also, the Pinebook Pro is now back in stock for those who are interested in checking it out. So let's talk about the System76 Galago Pro first. So they have different operating system options. You can get the Pop OS 2204 LTS or Ubuntu 2204 LTS. For those who don't know, System76 has their own open firmware built on Core Boot and EDK2. 
And also this new version of the Galago Pro has updated processors, specifically going from the 11th gen Intel Core to the 12th gen Intel Core. And they have two different options, the Intel Core i5-1240P and the Intel i7-1260P. Those just roll right off the tongue. The 1240P has up to 4.4 gigahertz and 12 megabytes of cache, four P cores and eight E cores. The 1260p or the i7 has up to 4.7 gigahertz, 18 megabytes of cache, four P cores and eight E cores. The display is a 14.1 inch 1080p matte display. The graphics are Intel Iris Xe graphics, and it has support for up to 64 gigabytes of dual channel DDR4 RAM at 300 or 3200 megahertz. And also with the storage, it has support for up to two terabytes. If you'd like to learn more, I'll have links in the show notes for the System76 Galago Pro. Also, let's talk about the Pinebook Pro now. As I said, it's back in stock. For those who are unfamiliar, it is a ARM-based laptop made by the Pine64 company. And it is a very affordable laptop. Now, it's not a super powerhouse or anything like that. It's not competing with Apple's ARM laptops or anything like that. But... What it comes with is a 64-bit dual-core ARM, 1.8 gigahertz Cortex-A72 processor, and a quad-core ARM, 1.4 gigahertz Cortex-A53 processor. The GPU is a quad-core Mali-T860. It has 4 gigabytes of RAM, of LPDDR4 RAM. It has 64 gigabytes of eMMC storage on board. You can also use an SD card, or you can use you know, external drives if you want to do that to get more storage because it's it's an ARM-based laptop. It's not made to be the most, you know, powerful thing. Although you could argue that Mac are doing that, but that's different because they made their own processors and everything. But this is really cool because this is a really interesting product because not only is it got a lot of potential for like travel value and stuff like that, another thing that it has is the fact that the price is pretty good. It's like 220 USD and that's it. Yes, only $220 USD. So that is pretty cool. And it comes with support with power supply for both US and EU plugs, depending on where you are. So if you'd like to learn more about the latest uh, updates for the System76 Galago Pro, or the you want to check out the Pinebook Pro for yourself, you can find links in the show notes. Let's switch to the gaming side of things. I haven't covered gaming in a few episodes, so I wanted to bring back that segment because there's also some really cool stuff I want to tell you about. First of all, I have an experimental open source emulator for the Nintendo Switch to tell you about called Yuzu. Yuzu is written in C++ with portability in mind and currently supports Windows and Linux. For a while, though, the process of setting up Yuzu on Linux wasn't the easiest thing to do. This is mainly due to like the chicken or the egg problem. You see, the Yuzu team didn't make it easier for Linux users because the majority of their user base was Windows users. However, at the same time, you can say that the reason the majority of the they were Windows users is likely impacted by the fact that there was not an easy setup for the Linux users. With that said, Yuzu made one decision that is always great to see, and that is releasing the project as open source. Because a community member named Toast Unlimited decided to take it upon themselves to make Yuzu installer support Linux easier. This is one of the superpowers of open source, if you think about it. Allow the Linux community to have the option to build support, and very likely someone will do it. So this is new installer supports app images for mainline and early access builds for Linux users. And with the early access builds, though, you will need to be a patron supporter or on their Patreon if you wanted to do that. So 
this is really cool to see and you know a, a emulator for nintendo switch i didn't even know the one existed so seeing that it's being made easier to run on linux is also fantastic so if you'd like to learn more about yuzu you'll find links in the show notes have you ever heard of the franchise resident evil i'm not talking about the movie franchise that somehow has continued to survive even after increasingly terrible more and more terrible installments I'm talking about the video game franchise that's actually good. I have not played all the Resident Evil games, but back in the day I had my fair share of visits to the Umbrella Corporation. Now, if you are a fan of the franchise or interested in checking it out, but didn't know where to start, well, now you can get all of them, basically, because there's a new Humble Bundle for Resident Evil that has 11 versions of the games available for to you, including the original that started it all off. So you have Resident Evil, Resident Evil Zero, which is kind of like a prequel, Resident Evil 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and also you can get even a coupon on the latest Resident Evil Village edition. So if you wanted to, to check it out, I have links in the show notes. Plus also there are some other great bundles that are available right now, such as the Popular Programming Languages Bundle from O'Reilly, Cybersecurity and Data Science by Mercury Learning, the Humble Leadership Bundle by Barrett and Kohler. I think that's how you say it. Anyway, Links to all of these bundles will be in the show notes. So if you want to check it out, please do use those links because as a quick note, all of the Humble Bundle links in the show notes will be affiliate links, which will help the show out a little bit if you do decide to use it. So please, if you decide to purchase any of these bundles, please use the link that will help out Twill and I'd very much appreciate that. So again, links in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, which of course you do because you watch the whole thing, thank you very much. Please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the show and the channel, we have multiple ways to do so. You can uh, become a patron by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. And if you do become a patron, you can join me during the live stream in the recording stadium to discuss stuff between topics and just hang out every week after the show in the patron-only post-show. Plus, you can also support the show by ordering the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt or the This Week in Linux shirt that I'm currently wearing right now by going to tuxdigital.com slash store. Plus, while you're there, check out all the other great stuff like hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, coasters, all sorts of cool stuff there at the tuxdigital.com slash store. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episodes of Destination Linux and Hardware Addicts as I'm a co-host of both of those shows on the Tux Digital Network. And just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday, most Saturdays, at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern or 1700 UTC, depending on time zones. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each and every week by going to tuxdigital.com slash live most weeks. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tanell with Tux Digital, and I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux Good news.